0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. Well, good morning, Woodside. How are you today? Good to see you. My name is Jim. I'm the campus pastor here at Lake Orion. And, um, man, if you just take a moment for a second, look around. There's a lot of people here. Um, there's a lot of people that are coming back to church. Uh, this is one of the reasons why this week we turned to three services, because many people are coming back to church. Uh, those of you in Overhaul, there's a bunch of people in Overflow who are not allowed to come into service because we're full. Thank you. Uh, you're with us here, even though you're on the other side of the wall. We love you. We're all worshiping together. If you join us online, I only say that because one of the reasons why I moved to three services so we wouldn't have to turn people away into overflow in other areas. And so I know today's a Super Bowl, so we want to get home and get ready and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But man, again, I'll just make another ask of if you're a person that calls this place home, if you're a visitor, you can tune me out. If you're a place that calls us home, man, I just want to ask and compel you if you'd be willing to go to the nine o'clock service or the 12 o'clock service is coming next. It's the winter time. We're not running outside to go outside or whatever. So come to 12 o'clock. My family will be there. I'd love to have you. Um, this service is going to be the service that keeps getting more and more full. And even downstairs, we had to turn about 20 or 30 kids away because our rooms were at capacity uh, for where we are. So I just want to, again, make uh, anyone who calls this place home, you're a member or tender here, uh, if you'd consider. We have room in the 9 o'clock. It was pretty full, but it wasn't like this. The 12 o'clock will for sure have uh, space. So in the future days, uh, man, I would compel you, if you're willing, to come to one of those services. Just so, man, if a visitor's here, this is our first time here. We want them to be able to be here, not in another room, uh, with us worshiping together. So that's just me, my pastoral ask of you uh, that call this place home. And then on to more uh, important things. Um, You guys ready to watch the Super Bowl tonight? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Guess nobody's watching the Super Bowl, (laughs) Uh, but I know you are. So uh, let's real quick—we got to get this out of the way. Nothing like causing a quick division in the church. who here is, is rooting for and thinks the GOAT is going to win? Tom Brady. Okay. Eleven more people in the first service. All right, that's good. Uh, what about the future GOAT of the NFL, uh, Kansas City? Any Mahomes? Okay. Okay, there's like a bunch of people like, I don't care. You're wasting my time, Jim. Let's move on. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, we'll see tonight. Hopefully, you're going to have a good night with friends or family or you're uh, just enjoying uh, tonight. It'll be good, whether you like football or not. If you want to turn First uh, John chapter 5, that's where we're going to be this morning, we're finishing a series that we've been walking through in First John, a forgotten virtue, learning to love again, learning what God expects from us in loving him, but not only loving him, but also loving people around us and how God has called us as followers of Jesus to do just that. And as I was preparing for today, thinking about the text, looking at it, praying about it. Um, I looked and was reminded, as I keep being reminded about, uh, over the last year, there have been lots of things uh, that have happened. Uh, there's a lot of disruptions that have happened in our lives. One of them is even in this room. There's been a disruption of the way that we do church. Uh, there's been a disruption of a time where we didn't gather as a church. There's disruptions. And, and man, uh, how many people can't wait to go to a concert again? Like, yeah, I, I can't wait. It's going to be great. I mean, Kids' sports, schools, all these different things uh, were kind of like put on hold, restaurants, all this kind of stuff. There's lots of disruptions in our lives, and man, every area of the world was affected. Whether sometimes it was for them, for the good, or for the worse, everybody was affected. But as I thought about, there's one area, thinking about our topic today, there's one area that the virus, COVID 19, never Touched. I mean, it didn't, it didn't inhibit it from happening whatsoever. It didn't keep it from happening at all. You know what that was? Babies being born. Like, honestly, you think about it, there was no babies that were like, hey, you know what I'm going to say in the womb a week longer, or a week later because of COVID-19. When a baby is going to be born, it's so powerful, it doesn't matter what is happening around it, it is going to be born. And it happens at the time that is perfect for that child to be born. I was thinking about that as you, as you watch, I know a lot of people have had babies during this experience, what we've been experiencing, And it reminded me even about what we're looking at today because when you look at similarly, the spirit of God, what we're looking at today is we as followers of Jesus are called reborn. We have a new birth that is in Christ and there is no thing or obstacle or whatever it may be that hinders when the spirit of God regenerates the heart of a man or woman and they become alive in Christ and our newborn created new creatures in the name of God. There's nothing that hinders it. You read John chapter 3, the only place where we hear the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. He says, you know what? You must be born again, and the spirit of God will move. You don't even know how it's going to move, but it's going to move. You won't be able to see it, but you'll be able to see the effects of it like the wind. But he moves, and when he moves, there's nothing that is going to change that. The reality of the new birth is something that's fundamental to the apostle John in all of his theology. And we look at the gospel of John, you look at the first letter of John, what we've been looking at. And then over and over again, he talks about the new birth. Over the last month, we've looked at a lot of different topics and how the new birth in Christ, when we're born of God, we, we are people that do righteousness. Uh, sin no longer defines us if we're born of God. We, we love the heart of God. We love God's people. All these different things over and over again. The apostle John is talking about our new birth and how we've been reborn. And John, uh, not like we do, defines people much differently maybe than we do. Whereas many times we as people, we define people by men based on education, ideologies that they subscribe to, whatever it may be. But for John, there's a defining factor for him. People that have been reborn and are born of the light and then people that have not been reborn, that are born in darkness, that they are still in the darkness, they are not children of God. That's what it is for the apostle John. And when you look at him, man, there's, there's people that have been reborn and they're now a part of this family of God as he defines it in 1 John. And that's what we're going to see today is that new birth makes you a child of God. That's what happens when you become a child of God and you are reborn into the kingdom of God. And because new birth is actually spiritual, it's hard. We can't just look out in a crowd like this and say, man, you are reborn, you're reborn. Now, you could, all of those, you can't just look out and be like, man, everybody out here, all of my bald brothers, man, that's the marker of faith. Amen? Yeah, Absolutely. No, you can't look at people in some external defining factor that shows that they are actually a child of God because of the way that they look or the clothes they wear or whatever it be. So man, can we not know if we are a child of God, if we've been reborn or if someone else has? No, I don't think that's true. I think we can, and we can know just like a baby when it's born. You know that it's alive because it begins to cry. It's moving, it's breathing. There's signs of life in a child. And the same thing is true here in First John, over and over again, John writes, man, these are evidences that you are a child of God. You are born of the Spirit. And so today we're just gonna look at three realities that will be true if you have had or experienced new birth. And the first one, if you wanna look with me in chapter five of 1 John in verse one is that if you've been born of God, you believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus. Look what it says in verse one. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, it's a very different language than a Christ, but the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So first thing, if, you have, if you've been born of God, you believe in Jesus. Now, one of the attacks of all this time for the longest time, about Christianity and the Christian faith from the inception uh, goes back to the exclusivity of Christ. The exclusivity of Christ, that it is exclusively. So people talk about Christianity, how it's like very exclusive. It's not. It's the most open to whosoever will come, but it comes only through Christ. It's exclusively through Jesus Christ by no other means. And I mean, religions from the very beginning of time until now are always telling how they can broker a relationship between man and spiritual things or gods or forces or whatever it may be. Their own history, down to our day today, we've seen this because most of humanity is actually spiritual. It's interesting. When you look at the Western world, the world we live in, where more and more we are tried, we are We are being deceived that everything around us is natural and more and more our culture is moving towards, if it can't be proven or whatever it may be, it is natural. It's natural. There's really nothing spiritual. But if you go outside of the United States or the Western world, man, almost every person, most people believe in a spirituality, that there's more to life than just this, that we have a soul, that there's a life after death. Now they believe in a lot of different things. And so it was in Jesus' time. So it's interesting And he says, if you've been born of God, you believe in Christ. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Because in first century Roman time, majorities of cultures would have believed in many gods. Like there's a God of this. And how they actually orchestrated the world was through this God or that God, a sun God, a tree God, all these different things, right? And then Christianity comes on the scene. And claims, no, it's much different. Not only is there only one God, but also this one God is only known and accessed through Jesus Christ. That's it. So you can imagine, even more than our times, that man, it was a big deal for Jesus to come onto the scene, for the apostles to preach a gospel that said, no, it's not through anything else, it's just through Christ alone. That's it. All these other gods that you go to, No, it's only through Christ. Not only can you be rescued and redeemed through that, but you can only have access through Christ himself. And all of, man, all of these points of doctrine were offensive, I mean, idiotic, in both uh, them and many people. And so some of the people, I think, that even wrestled with these things, wrestled with the exclusivity of Christ were in the churches that John is writing to. I mean, he wouldn't have wrote this if it didn't matter. And I think he's writing because, man, there are people in the congregations that are listening or reading this saying, man, did Jesus really come in the flesh or not? Maybe you've wrestled with that. Like, did Jesus really come? I and mean, who is Christ? Was he really the Son of God or not? Was he really the Messiah? And John writes to correct this false doctrine and there's some that wrestle with it in our churches today and to defend the gospel and then give believers, like these are the signs that you can know that you know Christ. Here's how you know that you've been born again. You believe that Jesus is the Christ, not a Christ, like the one and only Christ. He says, if you deny that fact, you have not been born again. And that's why many people, struggle with Christianity because there is an exclusiveness in the person of Christ but it is the most open call that literally I can stand before you whosoever will come whosoever the spirit of God is moving him, and you could come and follow Jesus it's for anyone but it's only through Christ may we be reminded of that's why when we come into this room we sing about Jesus that's why at the end of time every knee will bow and every tongue will confess at the name of who Jesus and no other God. But I want you to understand something. Man, if you fully embrace the Christ, the one I've been describing, the one who's from the beginning and has fellowship with the Father and came in the flesh and cleanses us by his blood and forgives us from all unrighteousness when we confess it and advocates for us before the Father and takes away our sin and has no sin in himself and destroys the works of the devil and laid down his life for us and is greater than the one who is in the world and is the savior of the world and came by water and blood and gives us an understanding and is the true God and eternal life and will appear again. If you fully embrace him, then you should be floored. I mean, you should be ecstatic if you believe all of what I just said. Because here's why. Because there's nothing natural or obvious about what you believe. I mean, just for a moment, like go to someone at work and be like, yeah, I believe in God. He's always existed. That's hard enough to understand as it is. And on top of that, he created us, but we were broken. We sinned. And because of that, we messed up, but he still loved us enough that he actually sent his son, his only son, to come after us. And somehow he put himself in human flesh. He was born of a virgin. Then 30-some years later, he put himself on a cross. He died of his own will, not taken from him. Then three days later, he rose from the grave. Now he's in heaven. One day he's coming back. He's going to be riding a horse with a sword coming out of his mouth, and the- be like you are crazy you are nuts but praise god that is what i believe amen Amen. praise god that's what the spirit of god you only believe that if the spirit of god has done something in your heart and soul you only believe that that the spirit of god has come alive in you and made you reborn in his name that's why I come to this room and we celebrate. That's why I sing. That we, we have much to praise. Like That I have a lot to be thankful for. It's not just some small thing that God renewed my heart and soul through Christ. It's a big deal. And that's why I don't come in this room. I, th- I think many times <laughs> the world looks at Christianity and they're like, you believe that craziness, but I don't know if you even believe it. They come into this room and we're like, yeah, yeah you're a living hope. When I can get done with a stupid song so I can move on to the preaching. belief that I could have and the only way I have it is because you renewed my heart and my soul because it's through Christ and when it's through Christ unbelievable things happen man there's many versions of Jesus to offer if the version of Jesus that you have experienced or placed your heart in does not give credence to all of the things I've explained here, you might be be believing in a Jesus that is not of scripture. Because this is Christ, the Christ, not a Christ, the Christ. Well, there's a second reality. That those who have been born of God, they will love God's children. This is where it gets interesting, I'll tell you, because it involves other people. And when my faith involves other people, that's where it gets sticky, because those people are messed up and I'm not, right? Well, that's what we think. If you've been born of God, that's the second point, you love God's children. Uh, In verses 2 and 3, we see this. Now, this is the same point related to the first point. In the English translation it kind of goofs us up a little bit with the relationship between these two statements. Let me read this again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, excuse me, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So let me give you a little bit more, a little translation. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been begotten by God, and everyone who loves the begetter loves also the ones you've, who've been begotten by him. That was troubling for me. There's a key word here that ties these two together and in, in the statement. It's the word begetting. We don't use this word too much now, right? It's not like I look at Sarah and be like, I beget you. It's just odd, right? No, but here's the thing. Think about it this way. This is what John's saying. If you believe in Jesus Christ and God gave you New birth, and that new birth puts you in the family of God, which is going to make you love the father of the family. And if you love the father of the family, you're going to love the family. It's simple concept, but it's spiritually profound. That if you love the father, you've been reborn, but you must must love the father's family. I'll say it this way with my kids, right? I'm a father to Addison, my oldest. So I'm a decent father, so she loves me. And she loves me because I'm her father, but I also love Emma and Paisley because I'm their dad, right? And because Addie loves me, she knows that I love Emma and Paisley, so she loves Emma and Paisley as well, simply because they're my children and she's my child and they're my children, right? Because they're in the same family. Now, I wonder if Addison comes to me one day, she says, well, I love you, Dad, but I hate Emma and Paisley, I can't say that's never happened before. Because, right. I would say, no, that doesn't work. You're both my children. All of you are my children. And I love, any love that you have for me must flow out of you also to your sisters, right? Because John's been saying, even in chapter four and verse 20, if anyone loves God and hates his brother, he's actually a liar, So there's a connection between these two statements in chapter five and verse one. If you believe in Jesus, God gave you a new birth and a new birth puts you in the family of God, which is going to make you love the father of the family. And if you love the father of the family, you have to love the family. Think about it this way. It's interesting. So before I go there, just think about that for a minute. Do you love the family of God? One of the reasons I like to come to church is this. I don't, I don't, Never mind. I don't love coming to church so I can sneak in the back of the church and sit in the back so the pastor can give me some form of encouraging word and I can leave better for the rest of the week. I love coming to church because I love you. I love this. I feel something powerful when the Spirit of God is in a room with people who all believe in the same Jesus and are shouting his name. Because I love the family. I love the family of God. And, G- and, and, and John says if you've been born of the family, you will love the family. Man, just ask you this morning, real quick Do you love God's people? There's some caveats. Do you love God's people regardless of skin color? Regardless of deep held political opinions that are opposite of yours? Of cultural differences? Do you love the family? Because I can tell you, man, the, the... the church of the ages that we will spend most of our time with, this is just a small fraction of eternity, will be multi-ethnic, multicultural, All joined together under the banner, of course, multi-differences of opinions on this earth. Gathered under the banner of Jesus. So think, think about it this way for a moment. Maybe I can make it more real for you and us. Imagine if you came up to me and said, man, Jim, I love you but I can't stand your wife. I hate your wife. That would be like very offensive to me because you should love her and hate me. But it would be offensive to anyone, right? Because that's your wife. There are so many believers in this season, in this time, Man, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. I can't stand the people of God. And Jesus looking down at me like, that's my bride. That's my bride. I've had a number of conversations with people and I'll just be straight with you because I try my best to be. I have been deeply, profoundly disheartened over the last year by many people that call themselves followers of Jesus and the way they have responded in this last season as followers of Jesus to all that is happening around the world. And it's disheartened me. And I've had conversations with people, a number of people, even before all of this, when I was a college pastor, many young people would come in and say, Jim, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. I hate organized people of religion. And I'd always go back to the fact, you can't love Jesus and hate his bride. You can't. It's filled with broken, messed up people. I mean, I said in the first service, I won't say the whole thing because there's more children here, but I remember when I was in college and I wrestled with this deeply because I didn't like it either. And I remember someone standing up and saying, man, you can't love Jesus and hate the church. You can't love Jesus and not like the church. You have to be a part of the bride because that's who you are. And he said, man, the bride is a, he said a different term, but I'll say harlot. You know what I'm talking about? But it's still God's bride. It's broken, and it's filled up with messed up people like me. But it's still the family of God. It's still the family of God. So what does that mean for you? Do you love the family? Loving the family is not just coming here on Sunday, not knowing anyone, not being a part of anyone else's life, not doing life with anyone. Loving the family is like, man, that you're getting in with other people. Maybe you're part of a group. You're, you're tracking with other believers. You're praying together. You're bearing one another's burdens. You're, 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 you're doing all of the things that we see in the text of scripture. Not just, man, I go to church on Sunday and the rest of the week, I just kind of do my own thing. To me, I don't know how you could interpret that to I love the family of God. Do you love the family of God? Here, John, continues, he presses in a little bit further, and it says, in 1 John 5, 2, look what it says. By this, we know that we are children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Here, but he goes a little bit uh, even, I mean, further, and he says, man, he, he, well, you, if you obey his commandments, you'll love him. I mean, he says this um, amazingly. He reverses the statement that he said before uh, because in verse 1, he says, man, if you love the Father, you'll love the Father's children. In verse 2, he says, how do you know that you love the father, Father's children when we love God and obey his commandments? So he's both saying this in opposite fashion. Man, if you love God, you love the children. If you, How do you know that you love children? Man, if you love God and you keep his commandments. He's speaking against errors of both ways. He's speaking the error of, of Pharisees who say, man, I love God, but I, I just like and I look down upon fellow Jews. He's speaking... To the opposite of that, it's literally the secular humanism. Like, I love people, but I don't love God, and I have no need for him. What's fascinating is he goes one step further in verse 3. He says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, that's fascinating. John's already told us a number of times through 1 John that, man, this is my commandment. This is the evidence that you know you follow Jesus, that you have love for God and you keep his commandments. And now here, he goes a little bit further. It's kind of refreshing and honestly a little overwhelming when he says, you keeping his commandments is not a burden to you. It's It's not something that gets in your way. So I'll just ask you from him. Are the commandments of Jesus, the ways of Jesus that he calls us into, are they a burden to you? Do they get in the way with the way that you want to live? Do they, are they, there's something that, man, if I, if I could choose, I don't want to do any of these things, man. I've met a lot of people in life. I mean, I, I see them all the time, each week. They don't know Jesus, and you clearly see that they don't love Jesus because they, they don't profess to love Jesus, but they don't because they're extremely burdensome. They look at what we do, what I do in following Jesus, and they're like, wait a minute, you give money to the church? You're generous? Wait a second. Like, you believe that we should really say sexually pure until we get married? Come on. What are you, in the Old Testament? There's there's a lot of people, even in followers of Jesus, that find these things burdensome. Carrying the name of Jesus to our neighborhoods and networks. Preferring others. Laying our lives down for others. And Jesus says that these aren't burdensome. So what's the disconnect? Well, it gets revealed in our last point. Look there with me. If you've been born of God, you have overcome the world. You've already done it. It's a done deal. You've already overcome. It's not like you will overcome. You already have overcome. Look in verse four. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? God. So John returns here to this new birth kind of saying, he says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. But he connects verse three with verse four, with this thing, this word for, right? So if you read it again, God's commands are not burdensome for or because or since everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. Here's the deal. For God's commands to not be burdensome to you, you need to have already overcome the world. Well, why? Like, why do I need to overcome the world? When you look at what John says, he talks a lot about the world, right? The gospel of John and First John, he says, man, the, the world stands in opposition of God to the things of God. The world lies in the power of the evil one and hates followers of Jesus. And God sent his son into the world to overcome the world so that we might have life. I and mean, John tells us another passage of First John. do not love the world. This is throughout all of his themes or the things of the world. Why? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Here's the deal. The reason why we must overcome the world is that we can either love the world or the Father, but we can't love both. You can't love the world and love Jesus. And the only way to overcome not loving the world is Jesus. It's Jesus. Because the desires of our flesh are not with Jesus. The desires of our eyes are not with Jesus. The pride of life is not with Jesus. So we come back to John's exhortation to God's commands. They shouldn't be, or they're not burdensome. So where is the disconnect the disconnect with people is this: they still love the world, and as long as they love the world, they will find God's ways oppressive. And I'll say it this way: it's funny. Um, I mean, use your imagine. It doesn't take a lot of imagination from imagination for me. Imagine you love burgers. I mean, come on, amen. Imagine you love burgers or pizza or chicken wings and bacon and fries and all the greasy, yummy foods that God made good for us. I mean, right? It does take a lot of imagination. That's like, it's Christianity. <laughs> and of course, eventually, if you eat that way, you're going to have a heart attack. So here I am in the hospital recovering, and this impossible person, the nurse, comes in and says, doctor's orders, you can only eat soup, salad, and very small portions of meat. I mean, you are going to find the doctor's orders burdensome. Amen? I am. I'm going to be overwhelmed. Why, though? because you love something else. You love the thing they're saying you can't have. That's exactly what John is saying here. It's the issue for many people who follow supposedly Jesus. They've tried to tack on the Christian life to the things that they already love. I try to love these things and those things. Man, I know that I need to have a little bit of God in my life because that's what makes it it's good for me. But those two things don't mix. So God in the Bible and God's family, it feels burdensome and foreign and oppressive. And this is a horrible way to live and it doesn't please God. That if we've been truly born of God, God will regenerate our heart and our minds to where we've overcome the world and our desires are not for those things. But man, hear me today our desires and our eyes, all these things we want. Man, can I tell you, today, followers of Jesus, man, if that's you, have a conversation with me or Alex or someone else. Today, if you've believed in a Jesus that is outside of what I told you, it's a Jesus plus these other things or Jesus plus the world or whatever it is, man, I'm not going to say I, it's not my place to say where you are with God, but let's have a conversation. Wrestle together with what we put our faith and I'll invite the band to come out. We're gonna close with communion today. Man, I'll tell you this, even though uh, those who belong to God's family, um, probably many of you in this room, myself included, I've had struggles this week. We struggle, we still struggle with sin. I wanna make sure you know that. Like, it's not like you become, you're, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. So no longer do you struggle with sin whatsoever. You're perfect and whatever. That's not in the scriptures. No, we struggle but there's a big difference between struggling and man, I really wanna do this for God. I wanna follow God and falling away and having troubles. And man, I just, I don't wanna do that and I'm being asked to do this here. No, what's beautiful about what John says earlier in the beginning of 1 John. He says this, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, and this cleansing power comes from the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus who cleanses us from our sins. In a few moments, I'm gonna ask you while the band is just playing the song, just spend a few moments with... God and be reminded, man, the the, the little thing you're holding that you got at the door, and if you didn't get one, you can go out and grab one. There's a wafer that represents God's body, which was broken for you so that you could be a new creation in Christ Jesus. There's juice there that represents the blood of Jesus that washes away our sins when we become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And I just want us to take a few moments and meditate on the things that God has spoken to us today in his word. And maybe you need to take a few moments while the band plays and just says, man, confess. Maybe there's a few moments where you just need to take a few moments and just confess before the Lord and be like, man, God, I've been living for the desires of my heart, my flesh, my eyes, and my own self. God, I wanna confess that to you and I wanna repent of that today. God, forgive me of that. You died that I didn't have to live that way. Just have a moment with God. And then when you're ready, while they're playing, just take communion on its own. Maybe today... You've let the love of the world and its values infiltrate your love. You've neglected the love of God's family and God's children. And maybe there needs to be some change there. Maybe you wavered in your trust of Jesus. The one alone secures secure your salvation. No matter what it is today, there's grace with Jesus, which is awesome. I'll tell you, I wouldn't be able to live if it wasn't for the grace of God. Because in my heart of hearts, if you saw my heart of hearts many times, I don't look like a regenerate Christian. I am broken. I'm overwhelmed. I'm sinful. I like the desires of my own heart. And what's beautiful about every month when we do this and take communion, we're reminded of the blood of Jesus that covers our heart, our soul, that we might be new in Christ Jesus. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org/connect to introduce yourself today.